This is a very special interview for me because David Osborne is actually a personal mentor of mine. I'm convinced that uh, throughout life, you know, there's always one or two people at any given point in your life that are, you know, really just that person, that one person that is going to kind of, uh, they're there to help shape you, assist you through, you know, whatever period of time or growing your, your mindset, changing your mindset. Uh, and David Osborne is actually that person for me. I had a person early on, um, his name was Barry Liparelli, who was probably one of my first real mentors. Um, I had had some before that, but Barry was probably my first mentor that really helped shape me. He took me through some challenging times. Uh, he was there during 2007, 2008. You know, we had some debt challenges at that point in time. We had some issues with collections and not being able to collect receivables. And uh, Barry was that guy for me then. And since then, I've had a couple more, um, you know, Russ Gray from the real estate guys, Robert Helms from the real estate guys. They kind of became my, my next mentor and, and several along the way that are also going to be in some future episodes. But we find ourselves at these crossroads sometimes in life where, um, you know, that next right person comes into your life. And like in Think and Grow Rich, the book says that when one desires the thing, the thing presents itself. And that's when David Osborne came into my life. So probably a year and a half, two years ago, I was listening to the Miracle Morning podcast with Hal Elrod. And I heard David Osborne on there and kind of heard his story. And then I, I, I bought the Miracle Morning for Millionaires, which David and Hal wrote together. And um, that kind of changed my way of thinking and then purchased David's book, Wealth Can't Wait. And, you know, all of those just kind of helped shape me. And then I ended up joining GoBundance, um, which I'll talk about here in a few minutes. But David Osborne was actually one of the founders of GoBundance. And you'll hear Tim Rode on the podcast. You'll hear um, Pat Hyben. Uh, we'll probably have Mike McCarthy on. But I joined GoBundance uh, probably six, seven months later in October of 2018. And through that process, I've really been able to get to know David Osborne. And so it's been really exciting. So in this episode, we get into some pretty amazing topics and there's just a ton of wisdom. You can really tell that David is a very experienced person in life and, and in many areas. David discusses his superpowers of awareness and intuition. Uh, that was a really interesting conversation. And I've actually found myself thinking about that quite a bit um, after that. And we also discuss his greatest setback of going from being in a position where he was basically having a breakdown to becoming a new person for himself and his businesses, just completely reinventing himself, which was an awesome story. Um, David shares his most shared advice of finding your purpose, as well as very tactical goal setting, vision setting strategy that I believe is probably going to be really powerful for our listeners. David talks through his thoughts on the current times with the coronavirus and how it's affected him and his business. This is actually timely for uh, this to be coming out with um, David and us launching the podcast. There's so much going on right now in the world with the coronavirus. Um, if you're listening to this, you know, 10 years down the road, who knows how it's going to shape where it's going, but to have someone in our life that can share this wisdom, um, help us get through these times and just to be able to hear what he's doing. David is actually, I think he's the largest Keller Williams franchise owner in the world. He has uh, several private equity companies. He's got a family fund that he controls and invests in real estate and just in many, many different partnerships. And so he's very seasoned in business. So we're really fortunate to get his wisdom on how he's navigating all of this. And then I kind of mentioned this already, but David's one of the original founders of GoBundance, um, gives his insight to the beginnings of the group and how that all came about. And for those of you that don't know about GoBundance, there's these um, six pillars, age-defying health, authentic relationships, horizontal income, extreme accountability, bucket list adventures, and finally genuine contribution. And I've just never seen an organization like this. And it really just goes to speak to the character of the three founders of GoBundance and then ultimately Mike McCarthy, who came in as uh, the fourth amigo. So anyway, I'm just really excited uh, for you guys to hear this podcast and uh, let's dive into it. Are you looking for freedom? Freedom from the daily grind and hustle? Or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. 
host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. David, thanks for joining us. Hey, Mike, it's great to be with you, man. Honored to be mentioned in the same breath as whoever was your one of your mentors before. That's a that makes it all worthwhile to be in a spot like that. It's amazing. Um, uh, again, and you know, in this time, especially right now, I really have to just. Yeah, there's so many things that everybody could be doing, but especially you, you're running a big organization. You got a lot of things going on, so I appreciate your time, and I know my guests will too. So, my pleasure. A um, couple questions that we always start out at. So um, who's had the greatest impact on your life? From a business point of view, without question, Gary Keller. Um, he's been the founder of Keller Williams and a business mentor of mine. And I've gotten to ride alongside him as he went from broke to billionaire. And uh, you know the level of intensity and focus he brings to work, the level of intensity and learning he brings to pretty much everything, as long as a firm commitment to balance and health and, you know, uh, temperate living and all the rest of it. Um, you know, Gary Keller has just been a phenomenal role model for me uh, for the last 20 plus years. And that's from a business point of view. Uh, who's had the greatest impact on my life, you know, period is probably me. I mean, I think each one of us has the biggest impact on our life by the choices we make, the, the directions we go on, the way we respond to things, what we see, what, what, whether we quit or don't quit. Um, when you get kicked in the teeth or how long do you quit? That's, that's almost always better because everyone you know, has this image of this mighty warrior who never gets knocked down. And the truth is you get knocked down and you sit there and you think, man, I don't think I can get up from this one. But then you do. And that's the difference. Like you do. And, and so uh, your, my own personal choices would be the thing that I'd say has had the greatest impact on my life. That's awesome. That's such a great perspective. I appreciate that. If you could narrow it down to one thing that has had the greatest impact on your success, and maybe, maybe you already answered this, but what would it be? Like, what's your superpower? Yeah, for me, it's awareness. Like, I think I have a high level of awareness. As an example, you know, we're facing the COVID virus or the Wuhan virus or whatever you want to call it today, this virus that came out of China. And so we're not supposed to touch anything. We're supposed to have social distancing. Well, I was playing with my son in the yard, my three-year-old, and uh, I went through the gate and I unlocked the latch. And then I remembered the pool guy had just been there cleaning the pool. So like that's, you know, I just, so then I went and played with him the whole time aware that these little three fingers could be contaminated. Right. And I think most people are not as aware as, as I am. I think I've cultivated awareness, you know, so I went and washed my hands real quick and then continued playing probably unnecessary, probably an overreaction, but an example of like a heightened awareness so I, I think, you know, the meditators talk about awareness and, and different things. I realized at one point when I was a kid, I, had a, I was a fast driver and I had a radar detector and I was busting along and it went off, you know, and I froze and looked around for cops like, you know, and the old radar detectors used to go off all the time. Now I just pay the damn tickets. I'm like, it's not even worth it. I don't want that much stress in my life. But back then I was, I was using the radar detector. And I realized like a part of me has that all the time. Like there's a little part of me that's like a radar detector going on all the time. And I think it's for a couple of reasons where it came from, but it may not be relevant. The source of it, the bottom line is my superpower, I think, is a heightened awareness. As an example to that, also, I've been accumulating cash for quite a few uh, years, like months, years. I felt like the economy was overheated. 
Uh, another awareness of that is I tried to short the market. Uh, I told my team to aggressively short the market on Sunday and it crashed on Monday. Now I'm not a market trader and I don't go back and forth, but I've been following some of these more remote websites for about the, the virus and I could see things were getting bad and I had, I had a feeling we we're going to have a heavy correction. Now I don't know n- enough about the market. So I thought I'd missed the window on Monday. In fact, I could have shortened it Monday and it went on so much further down. But I, again, I'm not really a stock trader. I just had this gut feeling. Mm. And I'll tell you, the other gut feeling I've got right now is I think we're pretty close to the bottom for the market. Remember, the market is always a six month in advance indicator. So I think we've given up a lot of ground. And again, I'm not recommending stock picking. It's something I do to try to test how my awareness is and how my intuition is. I'm a big believer in intuition and awareness. And so sometimes I make bets just trying to see if my intuition is right. Sometimes it isn't. Sometimes it isn't. Um, in 2014, I told my team to go buy me some uh, uh, Bitcoin, but we never could figure out how to do it. So again, I get these weird thoughts. But of course, if I had, even if it had been a thousand bucks, it would have been like a million bucks by the time. It was like at 14 cents or something. Wow. So um, all of these things are just little like intuitive. I practice intuition and I practice awareness. And I think those are my two superpowers. Um, I usually hammer through these questions, but I don't want to, I, I don't want to miss this later. So is, is that also, so does that awareness play in? Cause every time I've ever heard you coach someone or been in a room with you or any, like you're, you're very intuitive with other people too. Is that the same thing? Is that the awareness um, or is that a different skill? Yeah, no, I'd say that the, the reading people, I'm pretty good at reading people and tuning into them. Um, yeah. That's cool. I moved like 10 times by the time I was 14. So I was constantly in a fresh environment. I had to tune into people pretty quickly. I went to a boarding school from seven to 13. You know, when you're at an all boys boarding school, there's a lot of bullying that goes on. So you had to have an awareness around uh, what's around the corner, who's around the corner, what kind of attitude and mood they have. Um, You know, so I definitely cultivated that. And I was kind of a bit of a troublemaker too. So I also had to cultivate an awareness to make sure I wouldn't get caught. Um, and a lot of that comes from a highly strict and disciplined father who was also pretty intense, uh, and, and also had a kind of a temper. So again, another reason to cultivate awareness and reading people. Um, so sure. I I think intuitive awareness, reading people is all kind of one, you can Mm -hmm. put it into one superpower. It could just be awareness, right? It could just be simply awareness. I love it. What was your greatest setback and what'd you learn from it? Oh man, that's a great question. Um, one was having a, you know, an identity crisis when I around 31, cause I'd started too many businesses and I couldn't sustain their weight psychologically. And then the second one would be losing my dad. Um, and so if I gave you, you know, the pain of, of the breakdown that I had when I was trying to run a bunch of businesses, they were all kind of struggling. Nothing was making any money. Um, but they were all there and I was responsible for all of them. And I just tried to work my way through it. And I just ran out of uh, uh, energy inside my being to work that hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and from that, I got shingles from stress. I was 31 years old. And so when all that happened, I, t- I said to all my business partners, uh, one of which was my mom and dad who had funded one of my franchises. Uh, I said, Hey, I'm, I'm out. I'm going to quit because I'm going to die if I don't, but I'm not going to leave you hanging. I'm going to go find somebody to replace myself. And then in about six month journey, I not only went to find someone to replace myself, but I also did a couple breakthrough seminars and different, you know, personal training and development. I did some therapy for the first time in my life. And six months later, I found my replacement. It was me. And what I realized was I, in hindsight, because hindsight's always 
2020 is that I'd had an identity crisis and the, the person I was couldn't do what I was trying to do. Mm. So I had to have a breakdown to have a breakthrough and become somebody new. And the new person that I became was far more blunt, far more direct, far more willing to blow off lower priority items. The old me treated everything equally and felt some kind of obligation to return every phone call and, and fix every problem. So I didn't really have a good prioritization mechanism. I would be fixing a computer, building a cubicle, or um, you know, returning the phone call of some random person trying to sell me something because they called me. That was the old me. Mm. The new me came out and just did the most important stuff and blew everything else off, including people that called me to try to sell me stuff. So uh, that transformation was pretty significant. And two things happened when I came back from that six-month sort of soul-searching journey into the dark night of the forest, as they say. Um, and that is, um, I found the new me and I was, and work got more fun and I made more money. So to, you know, that new blunt direct, uh, prioritizing personality that came out of that, uh, did way better at the job and got paid and made more money. So it all got easier from that, but that pain was pretty intense. And that's why when people say when the, the night is darkest, it's usually right before the dawn and, and everyone has to go through a dark night of the forest and all these things I can now relate to. So of course, in hindsight is one of the greatest things that ever happened to me, but at the time it didn't feel that way. So that was one. And then the second one would be losing my dad 10 years ago. Uh, my dad was a green beret, a very tough guy, uh, very loving, but very aggressive. Um, and he was, you know, you think life, you're always, you know, like it, you think it's there, it's just moving along, like mm -hmm. it's going to go on forever. And then watching him get cancer and die over three years when, he probably could have still whooped my ass at 74 and by 76 years old, I was changing his diapers. That was a very um, eye-opening experience and eye-opening process. I think before then I was pretty driven to be a billionaire. And after that, I came out of it going, Hey, life's very short. I'm going to make sure I enjoy it. I asked my current, you know, my, I asked my wife who was then currently my girlfriend to have a child with me and we had a child and now we have two children together. It really switched to, a pretty significant gear in my head that I guess wouldn't have happened if my dad hadn't died. Wow. That's huge. Appreciate you sharing that. What's the one piece of advice you find yourself sharing the most? Be on track with your purpose. You know, the, 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 the way to win in life is to have a purpose and follow it and get after it for you, whatever that is. It's different for every one of us, but a great world is every one of us being on track with our purpose. So if you haven't figured out what that is yet, go figure it out. It doesn't, it's not a binary decision. It's not like if you miss your right choice, you're going to lose your destiny. I think people put too much emphasis on it. It's really about having a series of purposes in your life that give you initiative and fire to chase something. And for me, I use a goal setting process for that, a very thorough and aggressive goal setting and vision setting process. Um, but I think the advice I give to most people is, you know, choose something and get after it hard. And then if you want to change it, you can, you can look at it like a three-year enlistment in the army. You don't have to look at like, Oh, if I do this, I'm going to be trapped in it forever. Just go, but, but enlist for three years. So for three years, go all in for whatever that is. If you're going to be a realtor, be a realtor for three years. If you're going to be a mobile home person, be a mobile home person for three years, whatever it takes. But for that window, go all in. You can even write down with yourself a contract. Like my start date is July 5th, my uh, 2020, my end date is July 5th, 2023. 
I hope that's not four years. It could be, but regardless, <laughs> pick, pick a beginning and an end date and then just get after it for that time period. And every time you get that doubt that we all get or that like, oh, I'm on the wrong path, say, oh no, I enlisted. I don't have the option of not doing this. Let's just do the very best job we can, you know, for one, two, three years, whatever it may be. And that's how you develop expertise and mastery. And even if you fail at something or it doesn't work for you, that commitment process is something you can carry with you to the next role. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so, so choose something, commit to it and do the best you can for a window of time. That's probably the most common advice I would give. That's so good. Appreciate, appreciate you sharing all that. So, so typically on the show, um, you know, we go into uh, several different areas or a set format, but I, I think today I want to get into your background a little bit. You've shared a ton with us already. Um, I had some things that maybe, maybe we can bring you back later and talk through. I mean, you're an expert at hiring teams. I've heard so much from you on that. Um, I love the story of uncle Ted. There was all these things that I really wanted to talk through and maybe, maybe depending on where we go, we might circle back to that, but with everything going on and you alluded to this already with the coronavirus and the state of the world, um, I can't think of a better person, um, just even being in the GoBundance tribe, being able to be on calls with you, you've added so much value. So can we, can we kind of detour and just maybe get into the state of the union and, and where your head's at on some of this stuff? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. I mean, it's a crazy time. I've lived through a lot of things, two crashes, multiple wars, and uh, I have never lived through a pandemic before. This is my first. Um, and it's the world has changed radically in 10 days. Mm -hmm. um, from the beginning of this month till today, it's not the same place. I went on a couple's trip to Cuba, got back from it, and was worried, slightly worried they weren't going to let me back in the country. Uh, but it was right before they had any cases in Cuba, but they were starting to shut the country down. And that was the beginning of March. And now here I am stuck at home with my family and my kids aren't in school. And we're worried about leaving our Amazon boxes outside for 24 hours so that if they have any virus on it, it has time to pass mm. on. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's a strange place we're in right now, Mike. Yeah, it's interesting. So before we like really get into, I think the wisdom that you're going to bring to us and stuff, let's just go into your background a little bit. So people have some context about, you know, who David is and, and what you've got going on. So, you know, maybe just take us back to the beginning and, and, uh, tell us where you started and where you're at now. Sure. I'm a military brat, traveled all around the world as a kid, uh, was thrown out of a couple of high schools. I, I was only afraid of my dad. I wasn't afraid of any teachers. So I would always talk back, uh, uh, went to college, barely made it through, but all along I worked, I was a, I was a construction worker. Then I had my own lawn mowing company. Um, and then I did door to door sales. Even in college, I worked my way through and I loved working and I hated school. So I was very good if I enjoyed a class or a teacher and I got on the honor roll once almost just to prove that I could do it uh, and then never tr did it again. It was just wasn't that interesting to me. Um, and then uh, I got out of, out of college and I sold computer systems for a year and then I sold everything and went hitchhiking around the world. Um, number of reasons for that. But the main one being that my roommate who was one year behind me, his family had a tradition of it. He'd been asking me to go, go, go. And I said, no, nah, I don't want to go. I, I want to make money and go to work. And then my first job, I had like a bad boss. Like she wanted more from me than uh, just transactions, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. And I was young, she was older. And after a year of putting up with it, I just decided that's bull BS. And I sold everything. And I said, okay, to my roommate. I'm like, okay, let's go. Let's do this thing. And he and I went hitchhiking around the world for two years. Halfway around, I met a woman I thought I fell in love with. And I moved in with her in South Africa, right when Mandela got out. Uh, that didn't work out. Uh, so two years and three months later, I came back uh, to the United States and got another job in computer sales. 
And um, as I was filling out all the paperwork, one of them, one of the things said intellectual property is owned by the company. It was like Novell Systems. And it said, if I, even if I dream of something while I'm not at work, they, they own it. And I just couldn't do it. I read that piece of paper. I'm like, I can't do this. I quit. Forget this. I'm out. And I quit and I felt liberated and amazing until I realized I had no money and I had a $1,500 credit card tab. So I, I was like, oh, shoot, I'm screwed. I got no money and I owe money. Uh, my mom was a realtor in Austin at that time for Keller Williams. And she said, hey, come work for me. I need, I need help. Come work for me. And I was like, okay, but I'm going to work for you while I look for a real job. This is just temporary. So I went to work for my mom, who was a realtor and sold a house to a buddy, made five grand, got to drive him around all day and have a beer after every showing and then make $5,000. I thought, wow, maybe this is a career worth doing. So I went all in. I signed up for three years, enlisted myself. Uh, we went on to be the number one team in the company. At that time, the company was really small. So that was a much easier job. I think there was like 800 people when I joined and there's 180,000 today as an example of how much this company's grown. After three years of selling, I was driving down the same street on, for the third time on the same day saying the same thing. I said, forget this. I want to go do something else. At that time, the company was trying to expand aggressively and open up new franchises. And I'd been being mentored by Gary Keller, Mo Anderson, Mark Willis, so many people. And um, I just went ahead and you know got the opportunity to go open franchises. So I went up to Dallas, used my parents' money, used uh, relationships that I was able to build up in Dallas and just started opening franchises. And my job was to sell franchises, but I couldn't sell them. So the only way I could keep my development schedule going was to buy them. So I ended up buy two, sell one. And then the next year I'd buy two and sell two. And then the next year I'd only have to buy one and sell three. So I got better as time went on at all of it. But, but, and then about three years in is when I had that nervous breakdown or that identity crisis. I had all, I'd opened up like four or five franchises and a couple of others had failed. So I had like six I was dealing with. They were basically all, almost all of them were breaking. Even one of them was doing pretty well. Some of them were losing money. And, um, so I went through that crisis, but all along, I was lucky to have mentors and people pouring into me and, and coaches and teachers. And so I, as I broke down, I broke through, I failed my way forward. And then I ended up becoming the largest franchisee in Keller Williams. I, I merged with a guy that was smaller than me a few years ago, and he took on the CEO role. Now I'm the chairman and our offices combined sold $12 billion in real estate last year. We're, we're a top 10 real estate company out of 80,000. Uh, probably top six or seven. And it's been a heck of a journey. During that journey also, um, I acquired a bunch of real estate as real estate people tend to do. And then in the last crash in 2008, I got into private equity, opened up a private equity firm, and we bought and sold over a thousand single family homes. We have a fund with uh, about, when we're fully deployed, we'll have about a hundred million in homes in it. And then um, we do distressed debt. We bought about $120 million worth of distressed debt. And so, now I have multiple legs to the stool. I have Keller Williams, I have my private family office, and then I have private equity. Uh, it's been a great journey. Um, I'm lucky enough to have three beautiful kids, two daughters and a son and a lovely wife. Um, and I've got my health and then I've got GoBundance, which you're a part of too, which is something we created six or seven years ago. That's been a lot of fun too. Um, let's just touch on that. I mean, I'd really love to have you back on the show, like I said, in six or eight months and we can talk about just because obviously you've built a an amazing empire and, and the way that you, you know, leverage people and teams and, and, you know, pour into your teams and all that is so inspiring, but I, I think we need to have some other discussions right now. So let's just talk briefly about GoBundance. How did, how did that all come together and what is it? So in 1994, as part of my educational journey, I did a 
mastermind with a guy called Fred Gross. And Fred Gross said, pick a guy out of this room and make them your peer partner. And what you're going to do is be a coach for each other. And the fee is going to be, you're going to coach them. And your fee is that they coach you. And they're going to hold you accountable to commitments. And Dr. Fred was big on doing three commitments a quarter. That's it. And with a punishment and a reward system built in. So I'm going to make a hundred calls a week. And if I do, I get a massage. And if I don't, I have to burn my favorite shirt, you know, something like that. So it was like a system. And then Pat Hyben was in that room and he was a guy designated that I chose and he chose me to hold each other accountable. So he became my peer partner. So that went on to create a 23 year relationship now, or let's see, what would that, what's 90, maybe this was 96. That's 24 years, I guess. And so we went on and held each other accountable. And I think I picked the greatest guy because I think Pat is slightly psychopathic and loves totally. kicking you when you're not doing what you said you would do. He's great at accountability. And then by the law of reciprocity, of course, I have to hold him accountable. So we were kicking each other in the teeth for 20 plus years, but it was making us each stronger. You know, there's a great quote, a man sharpens man like iron sharpens iron. I think it's biblical. And really, that's what we did. We stood for each other. It wasn't a friendship. In fact, I doubt we'd be friends today. We're brothers, but I doubt we'd be friends because we're so different. But we were both driven by productivity and accountability. And we both became multimillionaires together uh, through this process and coaching that Dr. Fred set up in his framework. In 2004, we bumped into another guy. And a lot of people had tried to hook in with our level of accountability and fallen by the wayside. Most people couldn't handle it. They wanted to be friends or they wanted to talk. They didn't want to like, get accountable. And then, so we kind of got done with gross and we were doing some other seminars and we bumped into this guy at another seminar called money matters. And he, uh, hooked in with us and he was the first guy that stuck and his name was Tim road. But his difference was he was already retired. He lived in the woods. He was the backcountry billionaire and he was basically skiing and backcountry skiing and, and mountain biking all the time and living off passive income. So he added to our group instead of just accountability around wealth and, and money was health and, and adventure. And so we started meeting together and we started doing like the Downeyville downhill, the Appalachian trail, just, we would meet and we would have accountability meetings just like we'd done with Dr. Fred, but instead it was just the three of us. And we added in like our body fat, our systolic, diastolic, our, our heart rate, our health, how many days vacation we took, uh, how many days we spent with our family, how good we were as husbands and fathers. So we layered in all this new stuff, um, and so that was really the beginning of it. Well, we'd been doing that for uh, a number of years until around 2011. And we were, we were doing great, but we were bored of each other. We were sick of all our stories. And so uh, we met a guy, we decided to have a meeting at my, my steamboat house and we each invited a couple people. And this is right after we'd done Kilimanjaro, um, which Mike, Mike McCarthy had joined us by now. So now we were the four amigos. And uh, we each invited a person and had an event at Steamboat. And one of the guys was Rock Thomas. And Rock knew a lot about, you know, the Tony Robbins world. And he's like, you guys really have something here. Like, there's a demand for this out there. And so we said, okay, well, let's see what happens. And we, opened, we created a tribe, built an economic model around us. And we went 23, 46, 100, 150, 200, 230 members. And it's been, obviously, there's been a, a need in the, in the culture for it because it's grown like wildfire and great people like you. I mean, I'm honored that you considered me a mentor and it's great to have you in the tribe. I know you and I are both speakers on Saturday at some virtual summit that yeah. I saw. Yep. And uh, it's just kind of super cool for me to have built a tribe of people that I actually want to hang out with and talk to, you know, and that's not to say, it's just that once you're ambitious and once you've sort of mastered certain financial freedoms, it's hard to hang out with your buddies that are still struggling, like from high school or college, 
and not sound like a douchebag. And you don't want to be a douchebag and you don't want to be a jerk, but you're like, I'm not having any trouble with that. I'm not having trouble with that. I'm having trouble hiring great people or you know, how to invest my money and get a great return or, or raising 50, the next 50 million for my funds. Those are the things I want to talk about. How, how to be a great father while working as hard as I do or being as ambitious as I am. How do you get along with your wife when there's go, 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 go for work. And then you have to slam on the brakes and be fully present to a family outing. So those are the conversations that inspire me, not how's my football team doing or like, where should we go have a drink or like, geez, I'm getting divorced. Life sucks or whatever. Like, I don't mind those conversations, but it's not what inspires me. So we've created a tribe where uh, being awesome is kind of ordinary and we hold each other accountable to be strong and better men. It's awesome. And it's, it's such a unique environment too. And, um, I, I, I often tell people that like GoBundance found me because I was at a place in my life where I was looking for something. And, you know, I had joined a couple masterminds and been through a real estate mastermind and some different levels of coaching and all that. And I had really came to a point where I was looking for the authentic relationship pillar. I had had mm -hmm. some issues, you know, I, I call them daddy problems growing up. I mean, we had some similar, my dad wasn't military, but he was an alcoholic. He was abusive. Yeah. And that kind yeah. of created some issues in my life that I didn't realize I had had. I had some authentic relationship issues and so I was really looking for something like GoBundance when I found it. And it's, I set a goal of one um, uh, authentic relationship per quarter when I first found GoBundance. And I've got like 150 like amazing friends. So how do you create that? I mean, cause like even right now with everything going on in the world and, you know, people looking for community, did that just happen because you, you guys came together and, and you had the right attitude or did, were you intentional about creating it? You know, one of my buddies said a long time ago, one of my many mentors, this one would be Linda McKissick, but she said activity creates results. So sometimes you're holding open houses over here and nothing is happening here, but you get a result over here that seems unrelated. Um, and I think, you know, GoBundance has been birthed so effortlessly. Um, it's almost, but we were already doing it. So the authenticity, Pat, Tim and I, and then Mike, and then with Rock and other guys, but it, especially Pat and Tim and I, for many years, we would open up completely our tax returns, where we were struggling, you know, how to be a good father or husband or just everything. Like there was nothing that we did not disclose to one another. When I, you know, when I was older, uh, I had a, I have a beautiful 32 year old daughter that came into my life when she was eight. And when she first came into my life, because I'd been raised in a very traditional family, I was a little nervous about it. So I would like, let people know she was my niece or something. I wasn't comfortable. I just like suddenly, boom, I have a daughter that I didn't know I had. Mm. And now like, how do I explain this to people? And, you know, it was with Pat and Tim that I was able to like be what the, you know, who the, what the fuck are you doing? Mm. Like, don't deny your daughter, like be real, just yeah. be real and, and screw everybody. And if they don't like it and they want to judge you for having a daughter that got out of wedlock, then they're not worthy of being your friend anyway. So being able to face that, um, because of that friendship and those guys, like just being honest with me and being straight with me. Um, it's been transformative for me. Like there's been no place to hide. And I think if you hide in life, it's very easy for us to hide from our problems. Mm -hmm. And when you hide from who, what your problems are, you can never fix them. And what, what Pat and Tim did for me is they shined a light of authenticity on my life and there was no place to hide. And so that's what we created in GoBundance. So the reason I think it's like that is because that's who we are. And the shadow of GoBundance falls in the, in, the, in, the, in the light of 
Tim and Pat and then Mike and I and how open and direct we are and clear and transparent with one another. And so I think that wasn't, it's not like it was personally created. It's just like who we are. And that's what we've tried to instill in the, in the tribe. And as it's gotten bigger, my biggest fear is that people, you'll get people that are hiding or pretending or showing, you know, bigger numbers than they actually have. And all, you know, falsehood eventually collapses, Mm -hmm. you know, like all falsehood. If you don't build your, your foundation on rock and rock requires honesty, like foundation of strength and truth, you will eventually collapse. And so, um, yeah, one of my fears in the tribe is that we lose that because the further it gets away from us, the less we know how honest people are being. But when you tell me that you've got 150 great friends and that you're, you're doing that, then thank, amen for that. Thank you guys for holding that integrity around the tribe. And and I just, I, you know, just to reciprocate too, and I, I said this already, but I just appreciate what you guys have built, even in this environment that we're in, you know, things are changing so fast right now. I don't think anybody saw this coming. It wasn't, there was people that saw like 2008, 2009 coming and, and maybe, maybe people have been saying for a while we had a financial issue coming, but this coronavirus thing, just bringing everything to a halt just came out of nowhere. And getting on emergency calls with the GoBundance guys, that environment you've built. I had a call earlier today with one of the brothers in the tribe. Um, just such an amazing environment. So hats off to you guys. And um, that makes a lot of sense too, because I wondered going in there, like how do you create a room of 150, 200 men that are all the same? And to hear you saying that you're concerned about keeping that, it's, it, it, uh, I, I think the, is, so did the local chapters have something to do with keeping that together or? Is yeah. It I mean, when the, when the local chapters are working effectively, they're also being open and transparent, mm-hmm. you know, and I've, I've had a couple of guys tell me, like, I felt like that guy was never honest. And usually those guys drop out. You know, I had one that was reluctant to bring in and I liked the guy, but I didn't love the guy. And there was a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. Got to tell everybody he's doing better than he is kind of guy. And he felt, he just, dropped out by itself. So, uh, I think it's self-policing, but I, you know, yeah. And the local chapters are key to that. I mean, it's just, just transparency is the key to that. You cannot get better unless you're transparent, which means what I did right, what I did wrong, that enables you to use your awareness to make a shift. But if you're too busy playing black magic with people and making it look like you're better and bigger than you are, um, you're really fooling yourself. Sure. You might fool the people for a while, but ultimately you're fooling yourself and mm-hmm. setting yourself up for, uh, inability to grow. Um, and, and it's hard, you know, I get it. Sometimes life's unlucky. And sometimes like right now we're all in a new world. We're, we're calling landlords and asking them to forego rent and cut their rent in half. We're, I called a, my team called the bank and got the bank to reduce their interest rate from five and a quarter to 4% on one of our loans. I mean, we're just asking everyone to give us better prices and, and we may have to do some layoffs and other things. And yeah, no one saw it coming. I mean, I was reading this conspiracy website called zero hedge. That's always extreme, like too, too dark really. But so I saw it coming a little bit. I was like, Oh wow, this is not looking good. And I saw China shutting down. Uh, that's why I tried to short the market, but I was a little late for that. Just like literally one day late. If it had been Friday instead of Sunday that I'd requested that, um, we would have laid on a heavy short. Um, But ultimately this is new territory that no one has ever seen before. And that's why it kept going down and down and down and down is, is people are like, this is new territory, but I think we got to be pretty close to the bottom right now. Honestly, I think 20,000 Dow and oil at 20 bucks uh, feels to me like the, the market always reacts to information six months in the future. So 
yeah, it's new territory and hopefully it V's back out of it. We V out of it. So maybe in six or nine months, uh, we're snapping back to normal, but I do think it'll take a little time. Like who's going to go eat at a restaurant when you've sort of been trained for 90 days to not eat in public places. It's yeah. not like it's hard to get that change the, in the first place. And it's going to be hard to get it to go back again. We're all going to be looking over our shoulder, wondering if the pool guy touched the top of my little gateway and added some coronavirus to my metal frame, you know? Yeah. 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 I was on a call with my leadership team yesterday and um, we're at this point in our office, which I would have never thought about this two weeks ago, but we're, we negotiated a, a lease where we paid a couple extra months up front and then we've got the option to get out after a certain amount of time. And so even though our lease is four years, we can get out of it now. Oh, that's and, brilliant. And one of my team members, one of my, I, I did the same thing, by the way. Nice. I probably, that's brilliant. Yeah. I probably learned it from, from you or. No, I don't know, but I got one that I did a three year lease, but every October I get to get out. Cool. So, um, with 90 days notice, so we just, pa- we passed last October, obviously, but this October we get another chance to come out. That's all. Awesome. It's $14,000 a month. So it's a significant lease. Yeah. And I wouldn't have even thought about, you know, I, I guess I'm just reinforcing what you're saying. Like the financial ramifications could be deeper. One of my team members said yesterday, well, you know, we've adjusted to virtual life and it's probably, we're probably going to be more adjusted in 90 days. Like, should we consider maybe giving our 30 day notice right now in case this goes on 90 or 120 days, then there's other challenges. Like, you know, where can we find other office space if this comes out running? But it's just interesting. Like we're thinking about things that nobody was thinking about 30 days. And I'll tell you, man, I think there's going to be office space available. Mm. I mean, there's just going to be a ripple effect Mm -hmm. through society. It's not like we're going to come out and be where we were. The world has completely changed. And I was talking to a guy about a deal he has and he's like, this is the best deal I've seen. And I've been looking for a long time. I said, you were looking under yesterday's paradigm. Mm-hmm. The world has just shifted under your feet. And in 90 days, real estate is going to be hurt and yeah. prices are going to be down 15 to 20%. And what looked like a great deal a month ago is not a great deal today, no matter how much you fell in love with it. Cause you looked at a thousand properties to find one. And the only thing to do in that situation, if you're under contract is in my opinion, to sort of say, look, I want to extend the closing. I want my, my earnest money to be not hard. And if you're willing to do those two things, let's see what happens for the next 60 or 90 days. Yeah. Um, but I think you'll find space out there. I was just talking to my oldest daughter, who's a therapist and she's like, I just took more expensive space, but I haven't signed the lease. And some of my clients are dropping off. I'm like, well, don't, don't, don't take the more expensive space. Mm-hmm. Just write them a, 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 a sorry letter. Like I, I'm not going to sign the lease. And, uh, I'm sorry, it's just not working out um, because she also has a duplex that she VRBOs and the VRBO clients have gone to zero. So we're just at the beginning of this. Even if it snaps out from a health point of view in, in two months, you've lost every waiter, every waitress, every Uber driver, every gig economy guy, maybe not the delivery guys, half the anybody that's month, to, you know, living paycheck to paycheck is on is on unemployment yeah. and that doesn't recover fast. Yeah. And all the little therapists and the little physical therapists and the little private consulting firms that have little spaces are going to be the first to go. So mm-hmm. if you're looking for space in 90 days, 90 days ago, you couldn't find space. Right. But if you're looking for space in 90 days, there's going to be plenty. Yeah. And, and I think people don't realize that they don't realize everyone moves too fast. Even though I'm calling, like, I think we're near the bottom of the stock market. The, the prices for real estate are going to come down for 60 or 90 days, even if they heal mm-hmm. because of this walkthrough process of people not paying their rent, people not renewing their leases and stuff like that. And so there's going to be a knock-on effect that we haven't seen yet. So people need to hold cash, be patient, look for opportunities to buy if you're in real estate in 60, 90 days, maybe buy now if you're a stock guy. 
Um, and then don't worry about your space, cut overhead as much as you possibly can. If you can live without it. I mean, yeah. we may or may not cut ours. It just depends because we, it's a nice office and we do have employees, but, um, the world's been trending towards more virtual anyway. It's probably better for the environment and the economy any the environment for sure. Yeah. So, uh, I, yeah, you just got to realize that these things, a, they're never as bad as they seem a year later as they seemed when you were in it. Mm-hmm. And B, um, it takes time for this stuff to per- process through. It's like a slow moving train wreck. That's what it is, like a train wreck in slow motion. Yeah. And if you think, oh, it's over or you want it to go fast, you're not, you're, you're going against gravity. And one of the secrets I've always had for success is to go with gravity. Going with gravity means going with the trend, which means buying Austin real estate, not Buffalo real estate, which means being in the Sun Belt, not in the, you know, New York where people are fleeing. Or being in a place that's business friendly, not opposed to business, or being in real estate and not trying to design the next iPhone. All of these things to me are like going with gravity. And um, going with gravity now says to tighten the hatches, lower your expenses, build some cash, and look for opportunities in 60 to 90 days if you're a real estate guy. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I appreciate the wisdom. I feel like I just got a coaching session. That was awesome. Well, there's another one too, people. There's going to be more people. I don't know about you, but we've been trying to hire people and it's been very, very hard to find good talent, yep. but there's going to be a lot of talent showing up in the next 60 to 90 days. There's going to be a lot of layoffs. Yeah. Um, every one of those instant home buyers, open, open door and mm-hmm. Zillow and all that, it ain't going to work. The numbers you and I both know, the numbers will not work in a down market. They were barely working in a booming market. Right. Right. So think of how many employees they're all going to lay off. Yeah. You know? Well, I had a, I had a conversation with our acquisitions director yesterday and she's freaking out because, you know, like even this is going back to what you were saying about the deals and everything. Three weeks ago, we were fighting over deals. And, you know, I, I told my team yesterday in the interest of preserving cash, which is, you know, I, I think that's going to be king for us right now is cutting our expenses and preserving cash. But I fully see when you're talking about, you know, even if we're at the bottom two weeks from now, or maybe it takes two months, but coming out of that is going to be challenging how backlogged are the banks going to be? The courthouse is rolling back up, you know, the appraiser's offices, all that stuff. And so I told my team yesterday, unless there's a deal that is just something we can't pass up, like maybe, you know, Johnny mobile home park owner down the street is finally like, I just, I've been through three of these. I'm done. Take over the management. I'll give you a, you know, first right of refusal. Unless we have something like that, I don't really want to put a hundred or $200,000 of earnest money out there right now. That's going to get tied up for six months because you're, we're not closing any deals in the next 90 days. It ain't happening. You're absolutely right. It's a fallen knife right now for real estate. Um, the other thing is right now, I'm very grateful for everything I sold. I sold a building in Memphis. I sold um, a building in downtown Austin, an office condo, like, and, and I'm just kind of irritated at the things I haven't sold, you know? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it was a good time to sell and it's not a good time to buy right now. And we've got to let prices fall because sellers are very slow to get the, the new reality. So I, I think you're absolutely right. And the difficulty, I've got a buddy I talked to this morning, he's got 500,000 a month in payroll, but a hundred thousand of that is guys that acquire stuff for him. Mm. And, uh, you know, not to scare your acquisitions department, but you know, they're, they're all of a sudden not buying anything. And it may be, it may be even more than that, maybe 200 of that 500, somewhere between one and 200. And he does procurements from the government. Well, the government shut everything down. So what does he do? Does he, he loves the people, but yeah. does he lay them off and then hope that he can rehire them or, or what's he going to do? And yeah. that's, uh, 
You know, that's there's going to be a people component to this as well. That's going to put really good talent back on the streets. Mm -hmm. Uh, Remember the algebra of happiness. That guy, he wrote that book and he's a teacher at uh, Stanford, I believe, or maybe. Yeah. Stanford. He said he started nine businesses and um, I think five of them have succeeded or maybe four of them, four of them have done well. And he said the common denominator is that all four of them were started in a crash Mm. because in a crash, there's talent on the market. They're willing to work for less. I mean, Mm -hmm. so the opportunities are going to be right around the corner. Um, There's going to be a lot of talent out there looking for work. Uh, There's going to be a lot of people being cautious. Um, So yes, sit on cash, hold tight, and then look for your opportunities coming around the corner. You said a ton for the investor in the real estate, um, investor, uh, business owner. One thing that I, you said that your team reached out to the bank. Um, I had a, um, a guy that's got a loan on, it's a private loan on one of our parks and he reached out a week ago and he said, Hey, listen, I think we're going to have some liquidity issues. If you guys have any problems, let's stay ahead of it. I'm here to help you. Right. And so generally speaking, do you think the bank was open to working with you? I think landlords are going to be open. This guy reached out to me. So are I think, I mean, this is probably an obvious answer, but we should communicate as business owners, investors, we should be talking to our banks as much as possible. It goes back to that transparency thing. There's nothing to hide from. Everyone knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, we've given breaks on rent to, to two of the businesses that rent from me right now. Two more have requested it. We're going to give them a break. We have distressed debt. Um, you, you should be fully on engaged, calling your banks, asking for lower interest rate, calling your landlords, asking for lower rent, defer the rent, you know, like you got to give something. So, you know, extend the lease and get a lowered rent um, for 90 days and then see where we are in 90 days. You should be very proactive about it. And there's no fear in the conversation because if they say no, you're right where you were anyway. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's all very proactive. I don't know if I'd reach out to all my tenants and say, yeah. hey, don't pay me rent. Or let's negotiate your rent down. I wouldn't do that, but I would absolutely have a kind of a scholarship type program for people right now. And because it's harder to get a new tenant than it is to maintain an existing tenant. And if they're having an, a through no fault of their own, a cash crunch, um, better to get them at, you know, 600 a month instead of 800 a month and keep them than it is to kick them out and be vacant. Because mm-hmm. I think there'll be a lot of vacancies in the near future as well. Or worse, people just unevictable, not paying. Yeah. And that could happen as well. Yeah. Well, again, the courthouses are down, you know, I'm there, that's going to, that, that's going to take a while to flush out, I think. And it's hard yeah. in some States anyway, it takes six months. This could take nine to 12. So, yeah. So you go to your tenant, you know, if your tenant calls you and says, Hey, I'm having a hard time, just be like, okay, we'll take half rent for three months and yeah. stick it on the end of your lease. Yeah. So for the guy or girl that has, I mean, even us, we've got, you know, 2,500 pads across the country. So I had some advice from somebody the other day to say, and he said, get ahead of this. So reach out to your residents and say to them, Hey, if you, he was talking about the thousand dollar potential stimulus check that's coming and people are going to generally protect, you know, habitat first. And so he said, reach out and, and offer some kind of incentive to have them pay you first. So if you pay three months in advance, we'll give you the fourth month free. Or if you pay your rent by the fifth, we'll discount it by, you know, 20%. Are you an advocate of that? Or do you think that that's going to encourage them to not like people that would have paid a hundred percent on time anyway yeah. are now going to, what's your thoughts? It's a good question. And I don't know the answer to that. Um, I, right now we're reactive. So when people call with a problem, we're giving them relief, mm-hmm. but we're not seeking to give people relief that aren't asking for it. That makes sense. I think what I would probably do is 
I would probably wait till the money went out. And then by then you'll know who I would just get on the phone with my team. you got a lot of people that are idle right now, your acquisitions guys and say, as soon as a guy's six days late, call him up and make a deal. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, just like you said, you're about to get some money. We'll give you, obviously you're hurting. Mm-hmm. We'll give you, you know, pay two months rent for, we'll give you a 70%, you know, 30% discount on each month that you, you pay for with that money when it comes in. So you're, and again, I'm not just saying this, you're, you know, from a business perspective and just wisdom, um, business-wise, all that experience in investing, equity, brilliant. Let's talk to, you know, let's, let's put on that as an individual, you're probably one of the most giving guys I've ever met. Um, obviously the pillars and go abundance. So let's just talk to, you know, the individual, whether it's me or, you know, one of my residents or employees or anything, you said something when you had your breakdown um, and you found out at the end that you were actually that person. So you went and you figured out who you had to become in order to reach your full potential. Yeah. So what would you say right now to, um, you know, the individual out there hurting, whether they're just concerned about, you know, eating or, or whatever they're concerned about paying their rent, mortgage, any of that, what do you say to them? Who do they have to become? I mean, honestly, it's, it's, it's the hard times are the best times. And if you'll just keep, getting up and figuring out a way to move forward in spite of the pain and the challenge, a strange resources will come to your aid. A check will show up. You didn't expect something will happen to help you. A landlord will reach out and offer you a break on your rent. And you will become stronger because of what you've been through. And every time, like even now this one is new to me and it's different, but it's not threatening in the way the first one was just like the first girlfriend that ever broke up with me, broke my freaking heart. And I can't even remember her name today. You know, it's like early, the pain feels worse than it is, but it actually makes you so much stronger. None of us are strong enough to do this, but we should really be going through life, asking for failure, asking for pain, asking for situations like this, because in hindsight, you always look back on it going, you know, that wasn't as bad as I felt like it was while I was in it. Mm-hmm. And if you keep plugging forward, being transparent, being open, being honest, meeting it as head on as you can. And by the way, it's okay to stay in your room and close all the lights and cry for the weekend. Just make mm-hmm. sure you get up Monday and go back to work. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it's okay to be down, depressed. You know, I remember in my depths, I was still trying to work and I just was so screwed up in my head that people would be talking and I couldn't hear a word they were saying because mm-hmm. I was depressed. I was down. I was into this identity crisis but I still didn't quit. You know, I got back up and even though I was going to replace myself for all my partners, I didn't quit on them. I didn't just walk out the door. I was like, I'm going to go find somebody to replace myself. And I kept working and I kept reading books and I kept listening to Jim Rohn and I went to seminars and and they don't have to cost a lot of money, by the way, that Jim Rohn seminar, my favorite of all time is living your extraordinary life, 49 bucks. Mm -hmm. And it's you can buy it at Amazon. So it's the greatest cassette tape series of all time. I guess that dates me mp3 or whatever now so um you know it's just to know that this this what seems like the worst of times is actually the best of times losing my dad seemed like the worst of times but honestly it i've had so many breakthroughs since he's been gone and i've become a better father and a man and now i have a family i'm less driven by ambition and trying to get away from stuff and i'm more present to the present moment so i would love to have him back and let him enjoy and appreciate the family that I'm raising and cause he was a good man and a loving man, even though he was, you know, a little bit of an alcoholic and a little bit abusive, but he was my dad and he was the only dad I ever got. I loved him. Um, 
But at the end of the day, his passing as difficult as that was created so many blessings in my life. And, mm-hmm. and in the same way, the last downturn and the, the identity crisis I went through 2008, every single thing that's happened that sucked in the hindsight has been good for me. So just know that, keep being transparent, keep getting back up and look for that person to help you out there. There's so many people that will help you if you're open, transparent and not trying to play this voodoo magic thing about everything being better than it is, mm. then miracles will show up for you. And, you know, boldness has genius in it. My experience of life is every time I've been down, something has showed up. It's been like a line for me to hold on to, to pull me up. Um, if I had my eyes open and I've been willing to see it. I'm going to listen to that last five minutes every single morning for the next 90 days. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, I really appreciate that. Cause you know, uh, so the reason why I started or wanted to start investing for freedom was to get, you know, guys and ladies like you in that are, have done it. And, and what, what drove that investing for freedom to me is about time freedom and financial freedom, but that all kind of not that, not that none of that kind of matters right now. You either made it or you didn't. Um, and we're yeah. all struggling. Right. And so that advice that you just gave, I think is going to carry so many people through this time. And so it, can, could, could we get you back on in six or eight months and, and talk Absolutely, about what it looks Mike, like I'd when love to things do are it. good? I'd love to do it. And remember, we're all poorer today than we were a month ago. Every yeah. single one of us. I mean, yeah. I don't know how much Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates lost, but you know, it's just different degrees of the same thing. Yeah. And uh, we'll all come out of this in the future. And those that take action will end up doing better in the long run from it. Yeah. So there's going to be all kinds of opportunities in 60 to 90 days. Yeah, that's great news. I was thinking earlier this morning, just prepping for this. And I heard Robert Kiyosaki one time say that, you know, wealth can be measured in the amount of days that you can take off. And it, we're all just taking a ton of days off right now. So it's, <laughs> there you it's go. Like, that's, yeah. that's beautiful. It's I love it. Yeah. We've, right? we've all made it. I actually think with as clean as the air has gotten and I'm not a green freak by any means, although, you know, they probably got a lot of wisdom in them. Um, we should have a month off every year. Yeah, totally. Let the economy heal. Let the, let the air heal. Let Beijing be clean. Let the waters of Venice be clean. I mean, there's one benefit. I looked at my traffic, you know, map at five o'clock yesterday when it's normally all red everywhere. Yeah. And there was no red anywhere. I was like, I should just get in my car and zip around I-35 and downtown just because normally at yeah. this time that's impossible. So yeah, totally. that's totally. funny. So I guess one last question. Um, and I think this probably changes over time, but what, what pillar um, from there's six pillars in go abundance, which one are you focusing on the most right now? You know, I'm working out a bunch cause I have a gym in my house, so I'm super happy, but that's not what I'm working on the most. Um, it's really being with my kids right now. I'm spending more time in the last week with my kids than ever. Mm. And I'm just trying to, every time they ask me to do something, go do it and be, to be creative about what I could do with them. Like go hit the tennis ball or, you know, it's always usually something around a sport or playing Superman or something with my son. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely being a dad right now. That's awesome. Well, um, I want to respect your time. So I appreciate all the wisdom and just being open and honest and everything you've done for me personally. I, I, I hope this helps our people out there. So how can, how can people find you in this time? Cause you're, you're a light in a dark time. So. Thanks Mike. Well, I'm, if you follow me at, I am David Osborne, we've got a good little Instagram following going there and uh, mostly just inspirational stuff. And then my website is davidosborne.com. Awesome. Tribe of Millionaires is the book that we wrote for about abundance, but you know, Anyone, uh, yeah, I, I just, I know that if everyone hangs in there and keeps plugging forward in the long run, you'll look back at this as one of the greatest opportunities of your life. Just got to hang in there and keep walking forward. 
all three of your books, um, The Miracle Morning Millionaires, Wealth Can't Wait, and Tribe of Millionaires have really changed um, a lot in my life. So uh, this will be linked in the show notes, but I'm going to give away five copies of each to anybody that clicks on the first five people that click on those links because they've been instrumental in my life. So, oh, cool. Thanks, Mike. It's yeah. Great to be with you, man. I'm, I've enjoyed getting to know you more and I'm, I'm happy for not only the success you've had, but the success you're going to have. I appreciate you. Any, any final words? Yeah, just don't quit. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, David, thank you for your time. Appreciate you. Thanks, Mike. Take it easy, bud. You've been listening to the Investing for Freedom podcast with Mike Ayala. For show notes and links mentioned in this episode, go to investingforfreedom.co. 